It's Golden Gossip with your fabulous host, me, Frank Golden. We're talking about surrogacy, IVF, and making babies. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Golden Gossip. I am joined today by the always fabulous Erica Daybook. Good morning, Erica. Good morning, Frank. So first, let me just say that um, if my voice sounds a little raspy today, I woke up this morning and I was feeling some snow (laughs) patrol and I was like screaming to that in the bathroom. So I'm a little scratchy, but um, hopefully of my life, (laughs) (laughs) hopefully I can get through. Um, So today we are going to discuss um, golden surrogacy standards and kind of why we're more of a premium surrogacy agency. Um, So I know you have... You have some questions for me. As always. Yes. So let's start with, um, I think one of the most important factors would be finding quality surrogates. So let's kind of go into some of the requirements that Golden Surrogacy has for surrogates in comparison to the ASRM um, guidelines. Yeah, that's a great question. So, you know, the... um, as the industry is um, changing and evolving, um, it's important to note that surrogacy is not um, federally regulated. So, um, you know, there are reproductive endocrinologists out there and surrogacy agencies that do not adhere to as strict of, you know, guideline parameters. Um, We have taken what the ASRM deems as their best practices and we've kind of bumped them up a notch. So, um, I'm just going to go through the surrogate, our surrogate requirements first, and then kind of talk about what um, other agencies are doing so that you can kind of have a good comparison. Um, so the first thing um, is that we are recruiting surrogates who are between the ages of 24 and 36. Um, there are some you know, exceptions to that. Um, if someone maybe is a little younger, um, we look at their life situation. Are they married? Do they own a home? Um, what type of employment do they have? Um, so there are some exceptions to the rule, but generally we like that age range. We find that's kind of our sweet spot in terms of finding someone who's, you know, emotionally stable, financially stable, really has their life together. Because I'm thinking about, you know, where I was when I was 21, 22. Oh, gosh, <laughs> don't get me started. <laughs> and, you know, I don't know if I could have, you know, been a surrogate. So we want someone that's, that's well, for more sad. than one reason, Frank. <laughs> yeah, of course. Um so then our next, um, you know, in with age, a lot of agencies will um, recruit women who are who are older. You know, as an intended parent, I wouldn't want someone who's that much older. There are complications and, and risk factors that can present in um, women who are older. So I would implore you to to research those items and talk with your your personal OB or your physician about those potential risks. And like you said, like if it's an exceptionally healthy 37-year-old, 30-year-old woman, doesn't mean she's not going to be welcomed into the program. It's just in general, keeping under 40 mm-hmm. is probably the best practices. Is Correct. kind of where you're going. Okay. Yep. Um, the second item is number of C-sections. So I'll kind of dive into that in more detail after I list these differences. But we will only accept um, a surrogate candidate if they've had... Um, if they've had any C-sections, they could have only had one, a max of one previous C-section. Um, a lot of agencies will accept women who have had two or three C-sections, and I've actually read even more than that if they can find the right doctor to approve them. Um, so some agencies will doctor shop to, to try and find someone who will accept that candidate. Just be aware of that. 
Um, the third item on our list is body mass index. So we will only accept someone um, who has a max BMI of 30. Um, some agencies will go anywhere from 32 to 35. Even some um, clinics will accept someone who's a little heavier. Um, but just note that the difference between a 30 BMI and a 35 BMI could be over a 20 pound weight difference we're talking. It's not, you know, 30 to 35 doesn't sound like a lot, but if you look at the weight that accumulates to, to change your BMI that much, we're talking over a 20 pound weight difference in some cases, even more. So um, be cognizant of that. Um, some doctors will tell you that someone who's a little overweight will uh, maybe not um, uh, react to the medication, to the fertility medication as well. They may not have um, as good of an outcome. Um, or they could present with pregnancy complications if they do achieve pregnancy. So there it's, are it's all sorts of... It's unfortunate that like, weight's such a sensitive, hot topic in our society. So mm -hmm. it does, doesn't feel good to have to let a surrogate know that they're you know, above the weight requirement, but it really is for their health just as much as it is for the health of the baby. You Correct. Know? Yep. The next um, item on our list here is um, previous deliveries. So a surrogate in our program cannot have had more than four deliveries. Um, and I read about surrogates all the time who are on their seventh delivery. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, that's yeah. really risky. Um, for them. For them, yeah, especially. You know? So um, we don't take those chances at Golden Surrogacy. And then seven-year um, pregnancy history. So their oldest child cannot be older than seven. That's usually mm -hmm. our standard. That makes sense. Um, you know, HIPAA requires that a lot of the um, clinics and doctors maintain records, medical records, for five to six years, most of them. Um, some will keep them for seven, but I know a lot of the states, it's specific, um, five to six years. So if you've got someone who gave birth 10 or 11 years ago, you may not be able to gather all of their pregnancy and delivery history. And then... You know, even if you're able to find a doctor, a reproductive endocrinologist to still accept them with limited records, why would you go into a journey with uncertainty? It's just kind of too far between for comfort, I guess. Yeah, you know? it's, you know, and I read about agencies all the time, um, you know, trying to collect records for, for women who are older or talking about, you know, which clinic could I get them approved at with limited rec Like, why would we as an agency, as a professional resource for, for our clients, um, you know, we're supposed to be trusted advisors to help guide them along this process and mitigate as much risk factors as possible. Why would we even try to get that candidate, uh, you know, approved without being able to thoroughly vet all their records. It's just not a money market industry. It can't be viewed as that pretty much. Um, so those are the the medical requirements that are more strict than um, other agencies across the board. Um, you're not going to find agencies with surrogate requirements that are that strict. Um, and then the other thing that we kind of do to bump it up a notch in terms of um, screening our surrogates um, is that we request all of the medical records for those candidates. So we're not just looking at pregnancy and delivery history, which I know a lot of agencies do, but we also ask, you know, for the information of any um, primary care physicians they may have had within the last seven years as well, so that we can build a more complete 360 degree view of that person's health history. Sure. Because there are items that could be noted on someone's PCP records that maybe the OB didn't catch or things that weren't reported to the OB. Or things that indicate an abusive situation. That's true as well. You know, mm -hmm. broken bones constantly. You know, what's going on in that household? Yep. Things that an OB uh, gynae is never going to look into, really. 
Correct. Mm-hmm. Yep. So maybe we can go into why it's important um, to limit the amount of C-sections a surrogate's had. Um, so we, we say only one. Other agencies might go up to two, three, four. I hope not. But yeah. let's explain why that's an issue um, and why we try to avoid a surrogate that's had more than one C-section. Yeah. So, um, you know, and I'm sure I'm going to um, be criticized over this, not only from the surrogate community, but also the agencies probably wondering, you know, that's pretty strict. And, and yeah. I get it. It's, it's hard to recruit quality surrogates. We're accepting usually around one in 400 now with these more strict requirements, and it's sure. a very competitive market. And so limiting down to one C-section now for many agencies is just not doable financially. They would go out of business. They wouldn't be able to find enough surrogates to keep up with their demand. I, I get it. Not everyone has a marketing budget. <laughs> okay, I get it. Um, but the C-section factor is very important. Um, it's personal um, for me just because of complications that happened with our first journey. But... Um, Essentially, you know, from an agency standpoint, we, you know, our job is to guide intended parents along this process, mitigating as much risk factors as possible. This is a six-figure process, okay? That's what it costs. And so from an intended parent perspective, why would you spend all that money, time, effort, emotional energy into a process to have a baby and not try to mitigate as much risk out of the process as you can. Pregnancies in and of themselves are very unpredictable. Even if you start out with a very healthy person, something could happen that's unforeseen. It's just yep. the way pregnancies go sometimes. So why would we start the process knowing that there's even more increased chance for risks? So C-sections um, have all sorts of different risks. Um, the first being for the health and safety of the women, right, that you have as your surrogate. Some of those risks include um, bladder and bowel injuries, um, the incision that's created um, in your, you know, abdominal wall and uterus um, can have scar tissue, okay, that develop, and then what happens is over time, your bladder and your uterus can bind together and fuse together. And then if you cut into that again, you know, I hate to be graphic, but it's important to drive the point home. Your surrogate could bleed out, could need a transfusion. She could lose her life. Your baby, maybe if your baby isn't delivered fast enough after an event like that, you could lose your baby. She could lose her ability to have children. Correct. As well. Correct. It could result in a a complete hysterectomy in some cases. Um, So every time a C-section is performed, you're cutting back into... scar tissue you're opening scar tissue again you're increasing your percentage of having a complication like that occur with each subsequent c-section so if we have an applicant who already has two c-sections apply and we approve them more times than not the ob is going to insist upon that third delivery being an automatic c-section so why would we present a candidate to our intended parents knowing that we're placing their pregnancy in a situation that it's going to have more increased chance for complications to occur. We could avoid the knowing, going in, expecting it. You never want to go in expecting a C-section. It's kind of how we, we see it. It's, it. It could happen. Yeah, that's, that's you don't true. Do, and ultimately, it will cost more money. I know that sounds weird. On top of all the medical issues and the danger, it costs more money at the end for her recovery, your surrogate's recovery. The medical expenses will increase, and it's just an added expense to the process as well. And you bring up a good point. The recovery time for a surrogate who has a vaginal delivery is much faster than someone who's had a C-section, especially if they've had multiple C-sections. 
So if you sign with an agency and you're paired with a candidate who's already had two or three C-sections, expect that she's going to be most likely on bed rest, away from work, away from her family, recovering for a longer period of time. Um, and you could have had, you know, some of those un well, in that case, foreseeable um, complications occur during your pregnancy. So those are some risks for um, your surrogate. And then, as I mentioned, there's also that chance of heavy bleeding, right. needing a transfusion. And so there's all these horrible things that could happen. And some people, a lot of agencies really discount the C-section factor. They're like, ah, oh, it's a C-section. But exactly. there's really more to it, and they don't inform it's their, their job clients. To Exactly. It's their mm -hmm. job to inform them and say, just so you know, it's not a cakewalk. A, a C-section isn't, oh, it happens every day. Well, sure it does, but it doesn't have to. Right. <laughs> it, 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 like, it's just not something that you want to go through. So that's kind of the job is to inform everybody. We try to be as honest as possible about that at the risk of losing clients or potential surrogates. Yep. And then for... So those are the risks of C-sections for the surrogate, right? And there's a lot of, um, there's even more risks. And I would encourage if you're a surrogate who's had more than one C-section, um, even if you've had only one C-section and you're thinking about surrogacy, you should still know that there is there is still some risk factor there. And you should definitely have those discussions with your, you know, your ob and figure out what those risks are and if you're comfortable taking those risks as well. And for intended parents listening to this, you know, many intended parents really do kind of discount the c-section right. factor because maybe they were born via c-section they don't consider it to be that major of a thing um but as i mentioned before in many cases you're paying a six-figure amount to have a baby okay um and you want a healthy live baby at the end of that delivery process and so some complications for you to note that could occur okay on your newborn fetal lacerations can happen during the incision oh, wow. process. Um, another thing that could happen is um, your baby could be born prematurely because C-sections um, are oftentimes planned and they're usually planned before 40 weeks. So your baby isn't really given the opportunity to fully develop, okay? Because what you want in a, in a you know, most ideal situation is that your surrogate does make it to 40 weeks and has a vaginal healthy delivery so that your baby is able to grow and mature all the way before they come into the world, okay? Your baby then will have um, a less likelihood of lung development issues. There's other, there could be neurological issues of, of premature delivery. So there's all sorts of different complications that, again, you should really research. Um, another being that many people don't think about is there's a condition called wet lung when there is liquid still in the baby's lungs oh. um, because during a vaginal delivery, your baby's kind of squeezed out of the birth canal and any remaining liquid is then, you know, like squeezing a dish, wow. you know, rag basically <laughs> gets all that, gets that e extra, you know, liquid out. Um, and um, wet lung could cause um, different complications to your child, maybe having to mm. be in the NICU while um, they work through that um, lung development issues again. Um, and then in some cases, um, infant death can occur. Um a C-section is, you know, and I hope people listening to this are um, awakened by, mm -hmm. you know, this information. Um, it's not something to take lightly. It's it's important. There are so many different risk factors. And so my question for intended parents who decide to go with an agency that is presenting candidates who've had two C-sections, three C-sections is, is why, really? You know, maybe you found that agency is um, has a lower um, agency fee or promises that they can match you in a quicker time frame why would you you know place um 
that much more risk factors into your journey and potentially lose your baby to save a couple thousand um, when, you know, the whole goal here is to start or sometimes expand your family. Why would you pay all that money to potentially walk away with nothing? Um, because the agency you selected was was careless and and you weren't informed properly. So um, and again, like if you have an agency that's convincing you it's not a big deal, ask these questions. You know, mm-hmm. bring up the fact that sometimes surrogates can bleed out or your baby might be injured. I mean, ask these questions. We're not saying you have the right to do whatever you want. So choose whatever agency you feel suits your needs best. Um, but don't just you know take that lightly. Ask ask questions, probing questions, because this is about life. <laughs> this is a big part of your life. Um, they, yeah, sh- and they should be willing to be transparent. And maybe the agency's been around for 10 years, 20 years, and right. they're like, oh, we've never had you know a catastrophic event, and we've been recruiting surrogates with multiple C-sections for years, decades. That's great, but eventually something will happen. Yeah, and your you, chances are just growing and growing every day. Right, and it's, do you want it to be during your journey when something catastrophic happens? So you're right. Ask those questions. Be critical. Yep. And if you're comfortable taking those risks, fine. That's that's on you, but at totally. least you were fully informed. And know that if you want a trusted partner that isn't going to take those risks and is going to really take your journey seriously, that's what golden surrogacy is really all about, mitigating as much risk factors from your pregnancy as as possible. Um, So that's very important to us. I think I covered all the C-section items. And again, there are... um, I'm not a doctor. I don't have a medical degree. These are well-known facts and complications that can be found um, through very credible resources online. Um, And I encourage you to speak with your doctor to verify all of the information I've just given you. Um, And they will probably talk to you about other risks that I haven't even mentioned that can occur during C-section. So um, definitely something to read up on and know that um, uh, if you go with an agency who's presenting those, you know, candidates with multiple C-sections, what you're you're kind of getting yourself into um, in terms of C-sections. And uh, do you want to go over some of the um, lifestyle requirements for surrogates? Yeah. So we so one of the other things that makes us a little bit more premium in our selection process is that we actually fly our staff psychologist to meet with the surrogate and her husband or spouse where she lives right so we do an in-home evaluation just to make sure that it's um, a stable home environment it's clean it's tidy that you know your surrogate is growing your baby in a in a healthy stable environment it's very important Um, as well as an in-person psychological evaluation so that's really important some agencies um, will kind of have your surrogate wait till she goes to the clinic Um, And some of them will only have like a phone consult done. We really think it's important for um, that FaceTime interaction with the psychologist and not just a social worker, an actual psychologist, um, PhD usually. So they, um, you know, are very experienced with kind of weeding out, you know, social issues and things that may be present in that person's life. Um, whereas you wouldn't get that uh, maybe with another agency. So, you you know, that's very, very important. We tend to look for women who are married. We find that um, surrogates who are married are a little bit more stable. They have um, a support system that's basically permanently there with them in place. It's not right. just that they're relying on friends and family, which is great too. They should have friends and family support, but married women are a little more, um, we find a little more stable. Um, and 
of course there's um exceptions to that you know we have oh, single yeah. surrogates all the time um usually they're employed um if they're not employed they're usually like your stay-at-home mom who's you know raising the two children and just um has a very you know th- in that case they're usually married they have a husband that works full-time um and then you know the support of their friends and family is also something very important that we look for so um those are kind of some of the things that we look for from a lifestyle perspective you know we also tend to look for um women who are not overly religious just because one's religion can become a very important factor during the pregnancy um especially as it pertains to you know genetically testing embryos some women may not be you know on board with that or selective reduction and termination so we try to find surrogates who are more open-minded and more of the like mind of you know what the preferences are for a lot of our intended parents that all makes perfect sense mm-hmm. um so a lot a lot goes into it it's medical it's um personal life and something that i i do want to stress um is that the circuits are financially stable. So they're doing this because this is something they've always wanted to do. Um, that happens to pay. <laughs> That's true. They they can't be someone who's um, receiving any sort of government assistance to sustain their lifestyle. Um, that's a disqualification with our agency. Um, you know, to your point, they need to be financially stable. They can't be someone who needs the compensation for the jur- from exactly. the journey in order to, to make ends meet. Um that is not um, something that we feel is conducive to them, their mental well-being. It's stressful. It's stressful. Um, then they may be doing um, their journey for the wrong reasons, right? We, exactly. We do want our surrogates to have um, a sense of altruistic purpose throughout the journey and really wanting to, to help a couple or an individual create their family. So that's very, very important. Um, so let's move on from the surrogate requirements and talk a little bit more about the personalized care that Golden Surrogacy offers um, and kind of our support system, how we guide people through the journey, how we got them through escrow and legal phases and yeah, so the entire journey. There's a couple other um, items that really separate our agency. Um, support is key, right? So we advertise 24-7 support, and we really do. Um, surrogates who are onboarded through our program have the um, cell phone number of their coordinator. They can text, they can call, they can email anytime. Um, same with intended parents. They all receive my personal cell phone number. They can text me, call me, email me. We all of us here are really great about responding outside of business hours and on weekends. You know, one key point that I really like to drive home with my team here is that, you know, surrogacy is not um, an eight to five or nine to five process. It's, you know, people's lives on the line here and people's hopes and dreams of having a family. And that doesn't stop when we leave at five. So um, those values are instilled um, with everyone here on our team. And we're all very passionate about providing really great support surrogates um, after they're matched are also paired with a support coordinator Um, and our support coordinators have been previous surrogates and egg donors so they really have a more in-depth intimate understanding of that entire process so surrogates have a support coordinator they have an intake specialist here that does their initial screening and then they have a a full-time surrogate coordinator here as well so they've got three points of contact and as well as my information, I like to be involved with our surrogates too. Um, because when we first started out, 
I was the surrogate coordinator, the intended parent coordinator, mm-hmm. the program director, the everything. And I really love building um, those relationships with our surrogates because for Adam and I, our surrogates were really important and special to us. And I really like to also foster those relationships with surrogates in our program. So really, really important um, on the support side of things. And then a couple other um, key things that you um, talked about, escrow, legal, um, we handle things a little differently. Um, we don't have in-house legal. We feel that the bre- the best um, practice for legal is to have intended parents and surrogates paired with the top reproductive legal mind in their state. Definitely. Definitely, right? Because it's best to have boots on the ground, um, a, you know, an attorney who specializes in reproductive law, who understands all of the specific statutes of that state, can craft a very thorough um, contract um, which t- touches base on all the key points that need to be in that contract for that state. Some agencies do things, you know, oddly enough, in, in not following best practice uh, approaches. They'll, they'll have, you know, surrogate in Arizona, where surrogacy contracts are not legally enforceable. And they will, um, they'll look and they'll say, well, this, the intended parents um, clinic is in California surrogacy is legal there so what we'll do is we'll just write the contract to Californian law and we'll use that as a place of venue but that really isn't in my professional expertise the most above board approach to be writing the contract why would we do that um can we explain like the risk in that I mean if okay if a surrogate gives birth in Illinois the Illinois laws on surrogacy are applied if she crosses over the, the border and goes to Wisconsin and gives birth there, even if she lives in Illinois, those laws from Wisconsin then apply. So if there is no contract legally in Arizona, and we hope that the surrogate would never do this, but technically that is a null and void contract if she gave birth in Arizona, and there's no way to enforce the intended parent taking home their child. Am I Right. Correct. If the so if the parentage order is um, written for a specific state and the surrogate goes somewhere else, you have a parentage issue on your hands, right? right? Especially if it's a very unfavorable state. And then also if your contract isn't written to the laws and statutes of that state and you have to as an intended parent for some reason take legal action against your surrogate. Which we hope never happens. You know, what's the legal process for that? Do you have to then drag her back to California or what whatever state is is written to that contract, even though she didn't live there and didn't give birth there. So, you know, why would you enter into an agreement with someone and you are not legally sound? There's, you know, a risk for something to happen there, which could cause you to have to pay a lot of money in legal expenses. And then maybe at the end of the day, not have any recourse with your surrogate if something does happen. And, and that ha- emotional implication. And then emotional, or if it's an issue where there's a parentage issue. So and what scares me is that an agency that would allow that, um, you know, a, a red zone state to have a surrogate in there, that scares me that they're not doing their research properly on the surrogate even mm-hmm. and taking the steps needed to make sure that she is emotionally stable. So I know our surrogates are great. We take the time to screen them. So... 
it scares me that agencies still practice that. And then how are they screening their surrogates if they can't even get that straight? It's right. frightening. It truly is. It is. And another thing they do is they'll have a surrogate in um, like Indiana, right? And But they'll have the parentage order for Illinois. And maybe she lives on the border. So they'll right. tell her when you go to give birth, just drive across the border and give birth in Illinois because it's more favorable there. And that's where the parentage order is, even though she lives in Indiana. So, again, intended parents out there who are listening, why would you give your agency thousands of dollars to coordinate this agreement with you and find you a surrogate and have them impart risk on you, legal risk, cut corners, and cut corners um, when they're supposed to be your trusted advisors and help you go through this process in a very streamlined, easy way? in above board way, right? I you know, I know in today's political climate the term conflict of interest is losing its <laughs> credibility, but you really have to stop and think about what you're doing and who you're paying and how they're doing things. Very, very important. So attorneys, um, separate independent attorneys who are not in any way financially related to our agency, that's very, very important. They specialize in reproductive law in the state where the surrogate lives and will give birth. They are the cream of the crop. We only work with um, uh, attorneys that are a member of the American Academy for Reproductive um, Law Attorneys. And actually, they just updated that acronym they, to include adoption attorneys, too. So I believe it's – I think you can still reach that resource by going to aaarta.org. So, um, again, it can't be someone who um, does real estate attorney right. you know, on the side and then just happens to also do reproductive law arrangements. They have to be – the best of the best. Um, so if an agency tells you that um, they have in-house legal and, you know, because they're really good and they're affiliated with the agency, that doesn't really hold water. That doesn't really hold water in terms of them being a better attorney than the ones we're putting forward. They're just in-house people. And quite honestly, why would you want an attorney in Baltimore doing a contract for a surrogate in Illinois? Does that make sense? <laughs> it really, to me, doesn't. And then we also ensure that the surrogates get proper legal counsel as well, um, which is huge because in surrogacy situation we never want surrogates to be uh, put in a compromising situation or something put in a contract that they didn't fully understand and now they're tied to that um correct uh, the um surrogate should have her own legal representation to fully go through the contract with her so that she understands everything that she's signing and agreeing to very very important um and then you know lastly one of the things that um escrow is very important we oh, yeah. do not manage escrow in-house um, you know, it has happened um, even recently in recent times where you'll have an agency that is um, the agency owner managing your journey, also your attorney and also your escrow company. When that happens, there is a risk that, um, you know, what happens if that agency just up and vanishes, which, as I said, recently happened, all your money's gone. Or if you're the agency side of that company is doing a poor job matching you with a surrogate, you're having issues with them, and you decide to ask for a refund, and now you have a bad relationship with them, they have got thousands of dollars of your money, are they going to give it all back? Are they going to play games with you? Right now you have an uncomfortable situation made worse by the fact that they may have 50 grand of your money. So we advise that even if you're not with our agency, you make sure that the agency you select is not hold all of that escrow money they should work with a third-party independent company that is not related to them in any way shape or form um, so that's very important and that's how we operate to be again above board and do everything the proper way and to be transparent because i think a big issue with that with the in-house escrow is that 
you don't see where your money's going. You give this big lump sum of money. It includes the agency fee, includes all your legal fees, it includes all the medical fees, and then it just kind of gets dispersed um, by the agency itself as they see needed. You know, so when the company we work with, we cannot access those accounts at all, and the money is dispersed as appropriate through that third party source, and then the intended parents can see exactly where their money is going and exactly who it went to. Is there anything else you wanted to add? Anything that really makes Golden Surrogacy stand out? We discussed the customer service, the strict surrogate requirements, um, outsourcing or escrow, um, and also finding the proper legal uh, teams for our intended parents and surrogates. Is there anything else that we do that adds that little premier touch? It's, you know, and we also take on a limited number of clients every yes. year so that I can provide really great service to everyone. All of our intended parents um, are assigned a care team, which consists of myself, my assistant, and a program coordinator. We're all CC'd on every communication to and from the clinics, the escrow company, your attorney, um, so that if one of us is unavailable on a call or out of the office and you contact the agency and you have a question, you will get an immediate answer with the correct relevant information. It won't be, I don't know, I have to look up your case, or I need to talk with Frank. Um, Whoever you speak with here at the agency will have relevant facts to your journey, which is very important um, because I know as an intended parent, you you don't want to work with an agency where you kind of can feel lost in the fray. You call, they don't know what's happening in your journey. They tell you that you need to call the doctor and find out or, you know. Or they call you client 1,152, (laughs) something like that. Right, where it's like, hello, Mr. Smith, hold on. Let me just look up your account. Uh, That, (laughs) that's right. That's not customer service to me. That's not um, customer service. I mean, it is customer service if you're talking about car parts. (laughs) Or if you're talking about like, you know, I didn't get my Amazon order. Let me look up your account. Great. But this is like, I'm having a baby. (laughs) You know, you want to feel like this is a family and you're involved in like an emotional connection with your agency as well as your surrogate. So, you know, the the point um, for everyone listening is that we are not... um, we're not trying to be your mass-produced wholesale warehouse retail exactly. of a surrogacy agency. We're trying to be your boutique-style, custom-made, custom-made, custom-tailor-made agency. So, you know, look at all of our offerings and then compare them to other agencies you're looking at, and they're not going to compare. Um, there's no agencies that you know, at least the top agencies that I can think of on off the top of my head um, that are recruiting surrogates with the strict requirements that we are. The one C-section thing is huge for us. No one else is doing that right now. I hope the industry catches on so that everyone's health is protected. But my fear is that it'll get worse because surrogacy gets more popular. Mm -hmm. Um, More women are applying and there's a a bigger need to grow, grow, grow. And that that's scary to me that we'd put lives at risk to just make an extra buck or to, to make a journey go quicker. Cause that's a big thing Oh yeah, that a lot of intended parents go, what, how long there's reasons for that. It's looking for the longest process really is looking for a qualified quality, awesome surrogate. Um, so when an agency promises, Oh, two to three months, well, great. First of all, promises are, are awesome. And I want to see that be fulfilled. So hopefully that happens, but hopefully that happens with, a quality candidate and the chances of that are just getting slimmer and slimmer and slimmer. So yeah, our time frame may be a little longer than other agencies. Sure. 
there's a reason for that. I, I kind of think of it as I'm car shopping, let's say. Mm -hmm. And th my dream car, I can afford it. Everything's great. I'm ready to do it. And my dream car is not available on the lot, but they can order it for me. And I can get it in two weeks the way I, exactly I want it. Obviously, the time frame is different. We're talking about car versus life. So <laughs> right. please forgive me. Um, I'm going to wait because it's a big investment. It's something that I've, I've dreamt about. I want it to go right. I, I don't want to leave with any regrets. So you'd rather get a surrogate in three months, but at what cost? You know? Right. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. You know, people really don't look at it that way. Um, and they should because this is even, as you said, even more important than than buying a car you're having a baby you could prolong your journey yeah even longer than a waiting period maybe she isn't able to get pregnant on the first transfer or second transfer or third transfer oh yeah she's not a quality surrogate <laughs> so now we got to find a new sir so it, it's worth the wait i guess because that's a big that's a scary thing for attendant parents to hear like i thought it was going to be a nine-month journey well sure once your surrogate's pregnant yeah <laughs> Yeah, I mean, to your point, if an agency is telling you they can find you a surrogate in three to four months, great. They probably can't. If they can, I doubt they're going to be someone that's between the ages of 24 and 36 who's had less than two C-sections, one C-section at the max, preferably a vaginal delivery, someone who's got a 30 BMI max, someone who's in a pre-birth order state, um, someone who's had less than four deliveries. I doubt and someone who has insurance, I doubt they're going to find someone of that high caliber in that short amount of time, um, especially because that means they're probably not requesting all their records. That can be that can be a 30 to oh, 60 day process. Gracious. Is that a process? We, you know, we fight with medical providers every day trying to get <laughs> records and we get the He's excuses. not lying about that. The excuses we get. Oh, the dog ate it. Oh, it's in a <laughs> offsite facility. Oh, we Santa Claus came and stole them. I mean. So, but we get those records. We like, get the records. Um, our surrogate coordinators are on that, <laughs> right? So, you know, if someone is telling you they can find you a candidate that quickly, they're probably ask just, how. Yeah, ask, ask how. Yeah, how. Is what a is good your question. process? Yeah, <laughs> and see what they have to say because we'd like to know how. I guess too. I, I mean, I would like to know. Yeah, because it takes. Yeah, it could take thirty to sixty days to get all the records. Even if you get them within a thirty-day time frame, you still need to have a qualified reproductive endocrinologist do a preliminary vetting of all of those records. Okay, um, and that takes time. Right. You know, it could take that long. Just it could take longer than two months just to have collect all the records and then get them to a qualified professional to have them vetted. And then what about? psychological evaluation if you're finding someone that quickly you probably aren't having them you know vetted with a psychologist in person they're probably not having a home visit because those appointments can take two to three weeks just to schedule because those professionals book up rapidly and oftentimes very booked and busy so to your point if they're able to find someone that quickly how and then what does the medical criteria of that candidate yeah. even look like i would be I mean, I would be very concerned. I would think that's a pretty sketchy deal, to be quite honest. And and a great excuse, I, I think, of, um, that might be used as something to look out for is, oh, we have surrogates in our database that are ready to go. Eh. Eh. When someone decides they want to be a surrogate, they, they're probably not going to sit around in a database. They're going to get moving on the process pretty quickly. So that's always been such a sketchy excuse for me. We just have a pool of surrogates that have all been tested and they're all great and they're perfect and they're just waiting for the go. I don't buy it. Yeah, no, I, 
<laughs> not, I'm not buying buy it either. It. No, it's not. Uh, that is not the case. 99.9% mm. of the time, that is not the case. Um, so I think, did we drive home all the points? I think there we are? did. And we're not trying to be overly <laughs> critical to other agencies because there are, there are other amazing agencies out there. Like, do not get me wrong. Phenomenal. And, and not just agencies in terms of um, their reputation and how long they've been around. I know personally a lot of these agency owners and they're the sweetest, kindest people that you've ever, that you'd ever want to meet. They've been intended parents or surrogates before. They really do mean well. And sometimes they fall short on recruiting quality candidates and having strict requirements, maybe because of the financials of their agency. Maybe they can't afford to have a marketing budget that permits them to go through four or 500 applicants before they find that diamond in the rough. I get it. It's hard. It's a hard business to find really quality surrogates. But that's besides the point. What we're saying is if you want a quality agency to go through this process to mitigate all the risks, to really give you the best possible chance for success, you really need to do your research. You really need to go with an agency like us, like Golden Surrogacy. Mm -hmm. And if not, if you are going to go with a different provider, know what you're not getting for what you're paying them. It's a good way to put it. So... Um, that's my kind of rant and rave. And I could go on all day long because I am so passionate about agencies doing everything the ethical way, the right way. Not taking advantage of not being federally regulated. It's about your life. It's so important that it's not worth cutting corners in any way, shape or form. It's just not. No. And, um, you have personal ties to this. I mean, Frank's journeys haven't been easy. And so he goes out of his way to make sure that our intended parents and surrogates have a, as easy as possible of a journey. So that's yes. what we have to say about that. The <laughs> golden we standard we're calling this podcast. The golden standard. Yes. And I'm proud of what we're doing here. I'm proud of our, be. our standards. And even if it takes us longer to find a surrogate, and even if it costs us more money to find a surrogate and marketing costs and our, and we get, you know, less profit at the end of the day, that's not what matters to me. It's that everyone who goes through our program has a healthy baby a healthy surrogate who can recover quickly and that her life isn't negatively impacted. You um, can sleep at night yeah. knowing that you are doing the best possible thing for everyone involved in the journey. And it's so easy to, to, to not do that in this industry and you're going above and beyond to make sure that that happens. And I'm proud to be part of it myself. Um, so thank you yeah. <laughs> for blessing me with this like really cool experience. It's always, um, it's always something cool. It's so. fitting because we're golden surrogacy and we have, you know, our Which golden just standards. happens to be um, Frank's name by marriage. Adam Golden married Frank and Man. they became the golden team. I really lucked out on that but one. That's a great last name. <laughs> that's a great last name. Adam said, do you want to change your name? I said, yes. It's Actually, it's done already. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't tell you, but we've been married for a month. Yes. <laughs> Oh my All right, guys. Well, thanks for listening. Yes. Thank you, everyone out there who listened um, to this segment of Golden Gossip. Um, please share our content. Use the hashtag Golden Gossip or follow us. It's at Golden Surrogacy is our handle, except Instagram, Golden underscore Surrogacy. Maybe one day we'll get that fixed. Anyway, thank you so much for listening. Bye. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to this podcast segment of Golden Gossip. This is Frank Golden reminding you that everyone deserves a family.